Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 88, Herpes. One of the listeners to my podcast contacted me and requested this topic. And I thought it was a great suggestion. She commented that she was getting very conflicting advice from different healthcare professionals and that it wasn't an easy topic to get advice and support with, especially as it wasn't something she wanted to discuss with family and friends. So here goes, I won't name you, but this episode is for you. Thank you for getting in touch and I do hope this helps. One of the questions at the booking appointment, that first ever appointment with a midwife, is have you ever had an outbreak of genital herpes? This may seem a strange, intrusive, rather random question. What on earth has it got to do with anything? And understandably, it isn't information women are thrilled to share. And it may also be something they've not necessarily discussed with their partner, depending on how long ago the infection was and how often they have recurrences. Herpes is the commonest sexually transmitted infection in the UK and potentially has a prevalence of up to 23% in the adult population. Being reminded that you have had a sexually transmitted disease at the moment one is excitedly looking forward to the birth of a baby is far from ideal. Why does it matter? And why do we use this question to catapult women into receiving obstetric care? The reason is we're worried about neonatal herpes infection. This is actually incredibly rare. It has a rate of about 3.3 per 100,000 in the UK from our latest surveillance data. The UK rate is about 50% less than in other European countries and less than in the USA. Why do we get so worried about it? So it's incredibly rare in the population that I am looking after. Indeed, I've only seen two cases in my entire career, which nearly has a span of 30 years. One case was when I was working in a neonatal unit, and indeed that baby was very unwell. The other was a synopsetrician, when a woman had an unexplained illness, and then the baby's test, when they were looking to see what might be wrong with the baby, came back positive for herpes. 30% of neonatal infections will be skin or mouth with a very good prognosis. 
not a problem. What we're really worried about is an infection of the central nervous system or encephalopathy. Or worse still, disseminated disease. That's where you have an infection in the central nervous system and other organs. And these carry a significant mortality. Babies can die. A central nervous system infection carries up to a 6% mortality and also a high rate of neurological damage if not treated with antiviral treatment. And the disseminated widespread disease has up to a 30% mortality. So it is a very serious condition, true, but it is very rare. And if you read the national guidance, the main issue actually is delay in diagnosis because babies will usually present as being unwell between 10 days of life and four weeks of life. Delay in diagnosis can lead to delay in giving antiviral treatment. And it's the combination of not considering the diagnosis and therefore not giving antiviral treatment that actually presents the problem. And because it's rare, we may not think of it. Although, as I say that, it is something we will screen women for and babies for when we have a baby that is inexplicably unwell shortly after birth. Why do we end up with conflicting advice? Well, the situation is, I think, because of a knowledge gap. It's one of these classic things where actually herpes infections are usually dealt with by sexual health doctors. They're used to seeing herpes, they see it frequently, they know how to treat it, diagnose it and the implications for that person. We, as obstetricians and gynaecologists, see it rarely. We're outside our comfort zone. Maybe that means we overcomplicate things and confuse things. And if we inadvertently give the wrong advice in an appointment or seem like we're not confident about what we're talking about, women will do anything to protect their baby. So even a minute, very rare risk framed in the wrong way can seem terrifying. If someone puts doubt into their mind, if they've been misinformed, it's very difficult to undo the anxiety that this has created during pregnancy. Okay, we have national guidance. Let's take a look at that and see what it says. In simple terms, what we're worried about is new infection, a so-called primary infection around the time of birth or in the preceding six weeks of birth. This is because primary infection is what carries the risk of neonatal herpes. So in actual fact, any woman telling us she's had gentle herpes at booking in some ways paradoxically should be lower risk. There's less chance of her baby getting neonatal herpes. She's had the infection before. 
Because she's had the infection, she will have antibodies to the infection and these will cross the placenta and protect her baby with passive immunity. We aren't worried about her. It's sensible to ask if she has had any recent outbreaks and we will offer her a prescription for acyclovir, an antiviral to take from 36 weeks to suppress infection. After all, one doesn't really want an outbreak of lesions and sores when one is in labour. But the chances of infection of the baby are extremely low. There's no indication to do anything different. And when you read the postnatal guidance for paediatricians, this is reiterated there. There's no need for additional tests or monitoring of the baby. So we're making a song and a dance. A poor woman can end up feeling her past sexual relations are impacting on the health of her unborn baby. She may be too embarrassed to talk about it with family. Great job, maternity staff. Well done. Perfect guilt trip. Plus the inconvenience of remembering tablets three times a day from 36 weeks until the baby arrives. So one could be taking medication for up to six weeks if you go all the way to 42 weeks. Marvellous. Why are we giving this preventative treatment? If you look at the joint RCOG BASH guidance, that's the British Association of Sexual Health, it quotes a 0-3% chance of infection in secondary herpes. That's a recurrent infection. Hang on a minute. 3%, that's quite a lot. Zero? Well, obviously it's not. That's quite a big difference. And if it's 3%, how come I've only seen two cases in about 30 years of practice? We didn't used to give antiviral preventative treatment and we didn't see all these cases. So on the basis of what? I looked at the guidance and it says reference 1 and reference 38. So I looked into those because we've said the incidence is about 3.3 per 100,000 births. Okay, Reference one is the old 2007 RCOG guidance, which has helpfully been archived, so I can't access it. And reference 38, well, it's a tiny study. It's a 1987 paper, which I've enclosed in the programme notes, which looked at 35 babies. Hardly an amazing data set on which to base our evidence. I think if I was told as a woman that potentially with a recurrent infection, if I didn't take the tablets, my baby might have a 3% chance of neonatal infection, but I should have a vaginal birth because that was what was recommended, which might expose my baby to an infection. I would think that maternity staff had really lost their minds it would seem an unacceptably high risk. So it's no wonder that women are getting confused. I've also seen confusion amongst maternity staff about what exactly we're talking about. We're talking about herpes, HSV1 or HSV2 virus. 
Sometimes staff can become confused between genital herpes and genital warts. Genital warts are caused by a completely different virus, HPV, the virus that is associated with cervical smear abnormalities and cervical cancer. We may have a situation where a doctor who perhaps has never seen either herpes or genital warts, remember we aren't sexual health specialists, we may be asked in the middle of the night to examine a lesion on a woman's vagina or vulva and make a decision. Is this herpes? And on the basis of that, whether or not we think this is an active infection at the time she's in labour, and on the basis of that, decide whether or not a caesarean should be performed. I've seen this happen even when a woman is having a recurrent infection. And that's a nonsense. She has antibodies. Her baby is not at risk. But what if this is a primary infection? If it is a primary infection, either at the time of labour or within six weeks of that time, then we should check definitely that we have made a correct diagnosis. This will be with the help of our sexual health colleagues. They will need to test with a PCR to establish if it is actually herpes and treatment of antivirals prescribed accordingly. So, in actual fact, maybe rather than focusing on the women who've had genital herpes in the past, maybe it would be more sensible to focus on women who haven't had genital herpes. Some women in pregnancy will be in a stable, monogamous relationship, and for them, the risk of a primary infection is low. But what about those women who aren't in a stable relationship? Shouldn't we be educating them to make sure that they have protected sex so that they're not at risk of developing a primary herpes infection? A primary herpes infection in pregnancy before 27 weeks and 6 days or more than 6 weeks before delivery will be important to correctly diagnose. It's true. But infection at this point in time allows the woman to develop antibodies, an immune response. Whilst this is not routinely tested for, in some situations performing serology to look for long-term and short-term immunity can be valuable. In actual fact, sometimes first lesions that we believe to be a primary infection can actually be demonstrated as a recurrent infection if we test and find IgG, a particular form of immunoglobulin that demonstrates long-term immunity, memory of a previous infection. It can tell us that this is not a primary infection despite appearances and once again we can reassure this family that their baby has a very low chance of infection as it will be exposed to these antibodies in the womb. The women we really need to give attention to are the women who have a primary infection within six weeks of the birth of their baby, 28 weeks onwards, or obviously earlier if they happen to deliver preterm. 
We need a definitive diagnosis from our sexual health colleagues. We need serology, as I've just mentioned, to confirm that this is definitely not a secondary infection. This can be tricky because it can take two to three weeks. So if birth is imminent, it just isn't possible. These are the very small number of women that have a higher chance of a neonatal infection. And these women are the women, the small number, for whom caesarean birth is an important mainstay of preventative treatment. Caesarean birth, if you have a recurrent infection, even if you have an outbreak close to the time of birth within those six weeks, is not recommended and not required. But women who we've bamboozled with incorrect information during pregnancy will often come asking for a caesarean for that reason and that reason alone because they don't want to take any chances with their new baby. Interestingly, if you look at the Cochrane Review for the use of acyclovir, that antiviral treatment that we can give from 36 weeks, the evidence suggests that there's a reduced chance of caesarean if acyclovir is given. I can't help but wonder, is that because the use of acyclovir is reassuring the parents? Or actually, is the use of acyclovir reassuring the obstetricians? I doubt very much that it's due to the effect of acyclovir itself on the birth process. It's about our decisions about birth or caesarean. Right, what zesty bit am I going to take from this seeming minefield? If you're a maternity member of staff or even sexual health staff, know the guidance. If you're not sure, don't be afraid to tell the woman, I'm not sure. I'm not an expert. I'm just going to check the most up-to-date information. Pull it up on the computer screen in your clinic room. Look at it together with the woman. Don't make it up. Don't be vague. And if you can't look it up, check with a colleague and then perhaps give the woman a ring to give her the correct advice. Work closely with your sexual health and genitourinary medicine colleagues to make sure the diagnosis is accurate. Use a PCR, use serology. The guidance is joint, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists and the British Association of Sexual Health. It's joint for a reason. It needs both areas of expertise. If you're a woman who's definitely had genital herpes in the past, don't feel stigmatised, don't feel judged. Actually, you're lucky. You're immune. This is a rare infection that your baby is actually protected from with your antibodies. And if you want to take acyclovir towards the end of your pregnancy from 36 weeks, this can be prescribed either by the obstetrician or by your GP. There's no need to worry. The rest of your pregnancy can be midwifery-led. There are no concerns.
If you haven't ever had genital herpes, then simply take care. Don't have unprotected sex in the last trimester of pregnancy with a new partner. If you feel unwell or have a lesion that you think could be herpes and you're concerned, then go and see your local sexual health clinic. Get checked out. Get a proper diagnosis. Don't be frightened. There are things we can do to prevent transmission to your baby. And the final bit of the zesty bit is to be aware you're not alone. The latest prevalence data from BASH, the British Association of Sexual Health, suggested that prevalence looking at serology blood tests could be around 5% in the antenatal pregnant population. So do not feel embarrassed coming to clinic to talk about it. The chances are I will have seen women and had this conversation multiple times the week you come and see me. And finally, around 25% of neonatal herpes infections are actually postnatally transmitted. That means that it's important for any new baby not to come into direct contact with a herpes cold sore. So the advice is simple. Don't let someone with an active cold sore kiss your baby. I hope this episode on herpes has helped my listener and maybe some other women who are getting conflicting advice. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Obs Pod. Feel free to contact me on Twitter at FWMaternity or at The Obs Pod to ask me questions, give me topics for future episodes or let me know what you think. It's absolutely fantastic when you get in touch. I really enjoy reading your comments. As usual, I've tried to include in the programme notes some extra reading about this particular topic, both for professionals working in maternity care and for pregnant women using services. I'd like to reassure you that although I'm talking about my experiences working in maternity care, I take confidentiality very seriously and do not give any personal information about any of my patients. If you've enjoyed listening, I'd love you to recommend the OBSPOD to friends or colleagues. And please do leave me a review on whichever podcast directory you find my episodes. Many thanks for listening.